I'm excited that one kid was happy to go to uh, <laughs> Children's Church. We have, we have a good time in there. We do. So you may have heard uh, a popular quote. I've seen it attributed to about five different people, and I've seen it several places. Um, you've probably heard it before. It's attributed to, uh, as far as I could find, most accurately to the famous 19th, 20th century evangelist, Billy Sunday. Perhaps you're familiar with him, maybe not. But anyway, this is a quote that um, is attributed to him. He says this, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Now, what do you, what do you think of this quote? In one sense, we, we, we laugh. There's some, there's some humor to it. And in one sense, it's really helpful, and it's true. I mean, never missing a week of church for 40 years will not and cannot make you a Christian. Your attendance at church does not equal the forgiveness of sins and peace with God. You cannot rely upon, well, I went to church my whole life, Jesus, so I, I, that lets me into heaven. And so in that sense, this quote is true, that you are not, uh, we do cannot assume that everyone in this room this morning, just because you are here, you are a Christian. But in, an, in another major sense, like all analogies, I think that quote doesn't hold. The analogy doesn't quite hold, I think, in a pretty major way. A car and a Christian are not the same. A car will remain a car whether or not it ever goes inside a garage. I park my car every day in a parking lot. I have not put my car in a garage ever since I've had it. Is my car less of a car because it's never been in a garage? If a, if a car never sees the inside of a garage for 30 years, it will not struggle to remain a car. If a car never spends time around other cars, it will remain a car. Its carness is not contingent upon its proximity to other cars, its location. It just is a car. And is the same true for people? Can a Christian, a born-again Christian, a true follower of Jesus, never see the inside of a church for 30 years and still be a Christian and still be just as well off as, everyone, as anyone else? Can a Christian live their life without meaningful, close relationships with other believers? Can you live your Christian life separated from other Christians, saying, I'm going to do this lone wolf thing where it's just me and Jesus for my life. In a sense, yes, your faith is between you and God. You are, you are, your participation in church does not make you a Christian. But the life of a Christian is one that is in proximity with other believers. It's one that is faithfully committed to gathering with the church with gathering with God's people as a priority. And so this morning, I suggest to you that a Christian is not much like a car. A car does not need to be in a garage. But we need to gather with God's people. The God has designed the church to be a people. A people. It's not just a collection of individuals. When we walked in this morning, 
We don't walk in and come in and we're all just individuals. But as we're gathered here, specifically if you would call this church your home church, we are a people. We are to gather together, to be close to one another, to have intimate relationships with one another. Where we don't just come in, receive, and leave. But we come in, we receive, but we all, as much as we receive, we give. Our spiritual life and our spiritual growth depends on us gathering together. Gathering together as God's people is an indispensable part of the Christian life. Our lives must show the priority of gathering with God's people. And so as we start this morning, it's, it's already a question that we need to ask ourselves is, how does your life show the priority of gathering with God's people? How much of a priority is it in your life to be around believers? Or how much in your, how much in your mind do you think, it's nice, I enjoy being around people on Sunday and on Wednesdays, but really I'm kind of just doing, I, I, I can do this on my own. I can live the Christian life on my own. I want to suggest to you that that sort of mentality, that individualistic mentality, is not helpful. In fact, it can be pretty dangerous if you just think, I'm going to do this all on my own. I don't need other people. Because God has designed us to be around other people, to gather together, to grow together. So this morning, the main tenet of the sermon, the the main point that if you want to walk away with something, want you to walk away with this, is that God uses the gathering of his people to grow his people. God uses the gathering of his people to grow his people. You are, if you are a believer, you are growing day by day. The Holy Spirit is working in you, producing a work of Christ in you to make you more like Christ. And how does he do that? How does God make you more like Jesus? How does God grow you into maturity? Well, a large way he does that is through the gathering. It's through us being together. Not just here on Sunday mornings, but on, in small groups and Wednesday nights and regular discipleship between one another, but friendships that gather around the dinner table. God uses those gatherings when we are around other believers to help grow us. As we start this morning, I know there's several groups of people in this room. Some people are here every Sunday. And so you, you say, I don't, you don't need to tell me about the importance of gathering. I'm here every week. And, but I want to go a step further this morning and to say that when, when I say gathering, I mean more than just showing up. Like I said, it's not just take, come, coming in, receiving, and leaving, but it's just receiving and giving back. There's a closeness. There's a walking side-by-sideness that should, that should characterize our church. We know each other. We know each other in a way that's not just knowing your name. I know a little bit about you. I'm like, I could t- I, I, if I could look across the room and say, I know a little bit about what's going on in that, in that person's life. I know something about how I can be praying for them. I want that to be true of our church together. And I want to also recognize that there are people for whom gathering physically with the church is no longer possible for whatever reason. 
that maybe you're in a particular season where you, that keeps you away for a little while or a stage in life where you want to be with people, with the church, but there are circumstances that keep you away. I recognize that that's a real reality. That's a true reality. And so this is not like a guilt trip for those people to be like, you should be here. But for those who are able to gather, if you are able to gather with God's people, it's an indispensable part of your life. If we want to grow spiritually, we need to gather. We need to get together. We need to be with each other in meaningful ways and invest ourselves into each other's lives. So this morning, we'll look at four ways that gathering with God's people produces spiritual growth. Four different ways that gathering with God's people produces spiritual growth. We'll be going to a few different texts this morning, but largely for a good amount of our time, we'll be camping out in the verses that Zach read in verses 23 through 25 of Hebrews. So so for the first way is that gathering together helps keep you in the faith. Gathering together helps keep you in the faith. So in the the verses Zach read, perhaps verses 24 and 25 are the more famous. Um, if, If you've been a Christian for a long time, perhaps you're familiar with this. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the author of Hebrews here exhorts his audience, don't neglect it. Continue to meet together. In, other, in, in, in fact, keep on gathering together. Double down on gathering together. Don't stop, but even go even further. But verse 23 is tied to this. The preceding verse is tied to this exhortation. And this is where I get the first point from. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This verse, in verse 23, I think reflects the overall theme of the book of Hebrews. We're kind of jumping into the book of Hebrews, but if I had to give a a brief summary of the book of Hebrews, the author is exhorting people, stay rooted in the faith by looking at Jesus. If you stay focused on Jesus, you'll stay rooted. Don't waver. Don't lose your faith. Don't go off into the ditches, but stay on the path. And this verse is so tied to that. He says, hold fast the confession of your hope. Hold fast. Don't shipwreck your faith. Because in this time, the author of Hebrews is concerned. There are several people that are abandoning their faith. They're just walking away. They're deserting it. It's getting hard. There's persecution that, is fa- that are, they are facing. It's getting more and more tough to be identified as a Christian in that culture. They're on the outside. And so there's this temptation for them to walk away, to desert the faith. Say, like, well, I don't really, I, I don't need to follow Jesus. There's a lot of roads that lead to heaven. But the author in verse 23 says, hold fast. Hold the line. Don't make shipwreck of your faith. Stay rooted in the faith. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because God who promised is faithful to you. So for us this morning, 
I think a lot of it, this, this, this application is true, is the same just for us as it was for that audience. For us today, there are cultural pressures. You face temptation to sin, persecution. All these forces around are wind and waves upon the ship of your faith. If your faith is this ship, there are wind and waves crashing against the side, making you teeter and totter back and forth. So the author of Hebrews, God, the author of Hebrews, is saying the same thing to us this morning. Hold fast. Hold fast the confession of your hope. Stay rooted. Don't waver. Don't wander. Because God is faithful. God has promised eternal life and glory in his kingdom for those who will hold fast, those who will stay faithful. How is this tied to gathering? How is this even remotely tied to gathering and gathering together, keeping us in the faith? Well, one, this book is written to an audience of of a plurality of people. These commands here are written in the plural form, so they're they're meant to be read, read in a congregational, a corporate setting. And the author just doesn't have in mind, each person is like holding fast on their own, they're they're an island. But the fact that it's even tied to not neglecting to meet together in the very next verse shows us this is not just an individual command that each of us needs to hold fast. It's true. He wants each individual to hold fast. But what's the context in which they do that? In the gathering. In a corporate setting. We are helping one another to hold fast. In this room today, for those who are believers, we are coming alongside one another and pushing each other on. We're motivating each other on. We're saying, hold fast, brother. Hold fast, sister. I know it's tough. I know that I can imagine this is hard for you. But hold fast. Hold strong. Our gathering together is doing this. And if you, can, if you consider the analogy of a ship, the wind and the waves are blowing your ship back and forth, to and fro. If you're trying to hold the line by yourself, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to be starting to sink pretty soon. This is a big ship. You can't plug all the holes. You can't stop it yourself. You're starting to sink. This small hole here, there's a small hole here. It's a hopeless cause. You cannot keep yourself afloat in the faith. God is the one who opens your eyes to salvation, and he's the one who keeps you afloat. God is the one who is anchoring you in himself. This is not you doing it. But how, what does God do to keep you in the faith? He uses other people. He puts you in the context of a local church. He, put, he puts you in the, as a part of the church, the body of Christ. And so you can call out to the other nearby boats and say, hey, I'm struggling here. I need help. Or if you can't make that call, there's other boats that are close by you, that are nearby enough to you. They, they see your struggle, and they want they, they come and help. You're close enough to other people that they will see what's going on and want to help, want to care for you. So you cannot weather, we are not meant to weather these storms by ourselves. We're to weather them together as part of a people. 
So we are to hold fast the confession of our faith by being together with other people. Maybe you know people who, at one time or another, would have considered themselves a Christian, and now they no longer do. I know I know people like that. Or maybe they still would consider themselves to be a Christian, but you don't see any fruit of the Spirit in their life. How did they come to desert their faith? How, did they, how does a person go from identifying as a Christian to no longer doing so? There's a lot of reasons. It can be complicated. But I want to suggest to you that most of those people abandoned gathering with God's people before they abandoned their faith. That most people don't wake up one day and say, I, I no longer believe. I'm out. You don't just wake up one day and have that thought, necessarily. Often, it's a gradual process. One skipped Sunday leads to attending once a year, maybe. Maybe you, they move to a new area. They intend, I'm going to find a church in this new area. But the busyness, busyness of life, they're moving, they have all these things they have to do. Eventually, they haven't attended church in five years, and they find they don't really want to anymore. Abandoning faith in God often begins with abandoning gathering with God's people. So gathering with God's people is a vital way that God uses to help keep us in the faith. It's not you keeping yourself in the faith. It's God keeping you. God is the one sustaining you, but he's using the church to do it. So you think about that as you gather here today, as you, as you spend time with Christians. Like All this is a part of keeping each other in the faith. As you, as you think of other people in this church that you know, like, are you committed to investing in them in that kind of way? They say, like, I'm gonna, I, want, I want you to stay in the faith. I want you to keep going. If you, if you know of someone who is struggling, maybe you, 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 your mind goes to a person you haven't seen in a couple months, and you're not really sure why they're not here. Will you check in on them? Will you ask, how, how are things going? Is there, any, is there anything I can help you with? Just check in on them to help them. Maybe they have holes in their boats and they're, they're teetering and tottering and you can be the boat that comes alongside and tries to help and helps them to hold fast. Because God has given us the church to help keep one another pursuing him. So this is the first way that gathering with God's people produces spiritual growth is that gathering together keeps us in the faith. That it's not just about growing in the faith, it's about staying in the faith in the first place. The second way gathering with God's people produces spiritual growth is that gathering together helps us encourage one another. Gathering together helps us encourage one another. We get back to verses 24 and 25 I just read. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think it's real, one thing that's really interesting in these verses is the author sets up a contrast that at first, as we first think about it, it may not seem like an obvious contrast. What does he, what does he contrast? He contra- contrasts neglecting to meet together with encouraging one another. We look at verse five, 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is it the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So what we are to do is encourage one another. What we're not to do is to 
neglect meeting together. So the implication of this is that encouraging one another is an essential part of our gathering. We should continue to meet because when we meet, when we are committed to meeting together, when we're committed to gathering, when we're committed to being together, we're encouraging one another. We're building up one another. And what does this encouragement look like? Well, the author already answered that in verse 24 when he said, stir one another up to love and good works. So our our encouragement looks like stirring up one another to love and good works. This encouragement encouragement is less of a chin up, bud. You're going to be all right kind kind of encouragement. Now, there's a place for that, but actually the word for stir up here has more of a sense that we are calling each other higher, that we're motivating one another. We're pushing one another to more love and more good works. We're kind of stirring it up in one another. We're, we're getting each other motivated and stirred up to go and love and do good works. We're building each other up in this way. We are encouraging one another. Hey, let's, let's keep going. Let's, like, I want to push you. I want to motivate you. I want to challenge you. To, to love this person that you're having a hard time loving. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to push you. I'm going to challenge you, motivate you to serve the Lord in a situation where it's really hard for you to be obedient. And part of what this requires is that we have intentional conversations about these sorts of things when we gather. So in, our conversa- in your conversations with others this morning, has there been any sense of stirring up love and good works in the other person? How have you encouraged someone today to press on? I'm going to stir you up. We're going to do this together. Now, there's a place for pleasantries and and simple conversation amongst us. There's often our conversations here. We don't have time for such long conversations so not every conversation you have to have with you, you, you ever have with another Christian has to be super intense. You have to get into these really deep matters every single time. But I think we would be remiss this morning if we did not gather as a people and we did not have the opportunity to speak scriptural encouragement to another person. If you did not have the opportunity to talk through the application of God's word with someone. Because we have all come in this morning from weeks that have faced various trials and difficulties. I don't know all those things for you. But we all have. We've all faced it. And so we, we all need another person, more people to come alongside us and help us, to encourage us. You think, you, you can th- I, in, in your mind, perhaps you're thinking about this week, a tough situation you're going to have to face where it's going to be hard to love another person, or it's going to be hard to do what's right. It's going to be tough to obey Christ. And you're going to have to leave this place this morning and go out into that. And as brothers and sisters, as the family of the people of God, what we should be about is encouraging one another. Be like, you got this. Know that this, this, is, the path, this is what God has told us to do. This is the path that leads to life. Press on. Do not, do, you know, do not get tired of doing good works. 
Can you encourage another person? And can they encourage you as you go forth? One of my favorite things about the church is that when we gather together, is that we come from all sorts of walks of life, of different circumstances, but when we come together, we all operate under the, we're all under the authority of God's word. And so all of us should be able to talk God's word to people. To share, hey, like, brother, this, this, this thing that, that you're telling me about, this person that's hard to love, makes me think of this Bible verse. I want to encourage you, let's, let's like, meditate on that verse this week, and let's, let's check back in next week to see how, that, how that's going in your life. And that person can do the same thing for you. If you're not gathered here, if you're not with us, if you're not a part of a church, if you're not invested in the life of the, of the body, you will face those situations on your own. And it's tough. It will be tough. But when you have people by your side going with you in this journey, it's motivating. It's helpful. It stirs you up. It's like, I, I, can, I can do this through God's power. And I know that I have people alongside me doing this. And this is why we need a robust understanding of gathering. Why gathering, as I'm using it, is not just walking in, sitting in the pew, and leaving. But gathering emotionally and mentally, being here, not just physically, but with your whole person. Investing yourself into the life of the church. But with this comes questions. Will you invest yourself in the life of the church? Will you let yourself be put in the path of encouragement? Will you let yourself be known by people enough that you, will, that you welcome this kind of encouragement, this kind of stirring one another up, this sort of challenging, this sort of motivating? Because it can be easy to hear a sermon. It can be easy to come and leave. And when you walk out the doors, forget it. You, you, can, you can lose it so easily. But if we talk through it with other people, it helps us. It can press us forward in that week. So will you allow yourself to get to, for, will you allow people to get to know you so well that they can walk with you through things side by side? Do you want to encourage people in this way? Do you say, I want that. I want to have that kind of relationships with people. That we can do that with each other. I think that small group ministry is particularly vital for this. I think as we go into the fall with a new cycle of small groups, I think small groups are great for this because you can look across the room and say, I I don't know most of these people. Where do I possibly start? I I can't encourage people if I don't know them. How do I introduce myself? But in a small group, small groups are great for this. We can encourage each other in these small groups where everyone knows each, each other, seeing each other every week. These people know you, get to get to know you, they pray for you, they follow up with you. So if the size of a room like this feels intimidating for you for encouraging people, I think a small group is a great way for you to be in a smaller place, a smaller setting with more time to talk through these sorts of things. So the second way that gathering with God's people produces spiritual growth is that gathering together helps us encourage one another. The third way is that gathering together helps us look beyond ourselves. Gathering together helps us look beyond ourselves. If you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. We're reading in verse 
2, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Short verse, but a lot packed in here. I think this aspect of our gathering is underrated, but it's really beautiful, and I love this in the church. In the scriptures, we as the church are commanded It's an imperative to bear one another's burdens. The word for bear is actually the same word that's used in the book of John to describe Jesus bearing his own cross, of shouldering the load of the cross. So with that in your mind, we are to help shoulder the load of other believers with us. I, I don't have to tell you this. Life is heavy. Life brings hardship. You know it personally. I mean... This week, you've known hardship, you've known burdens, you've known trials. In the New Testament, like in verses like Galatians 6 2, the New Testament leaves no room for leaving one another to fend for themselves. We come alongside one another to encourage one another and to say, We're getting through this together. I want to help you in this. As you are facing a load, as a, a burden that weighs heavy on you, Gathering together with the church can help ease your burden because you've got people alongside you saying, I want to help you with this. I want to be there for you as you're going through this. Whether it's praying for you or if you can do something more to meet physical needs even. I think it's fascinating that Paul ends the verse by saying, so when we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? You fulfill the law of Christ. How does this work? Well, this harkens back to Jesus' teaching of the great commandment. To love God and to love your neighbor. This, this is beautiful. That The evidence of our love for God and our neighbor is that we bear one another's burdens. How you shoulder people's load. As you, how you pray for them. You provide for them. You care for them. You love people in your body. You serve them. That how you love God, one way you love God and show your love for your neighbor is that you practically want to help them. You want to look outside of yourself and what you've got going on and help someone who is hurting, someone who has a burden upon them. We all walked in here today with some amount of burden on our backs. There's not one person in here who says, I have no burden. I have no worries, no problems. Life is completely perfect in every way. Some people, though, have lighter loads, while others are weighed down heavy. Perhaps you got here just barely today. You're almost crawling in here, being like, I, there's so much going on. This weighs so heavy. I mean, I can't even, don't, even, don't know if I can even go to church this morning. Maybe you're having a hard time concentrating on what I'm saying here this morning. Because you can't stop thinking about what happened this week or what's going to happen next week. The burden on you is heavy. And when you gather here together, you are putting yourself in the path of people helping you to ease your burdens and shoulder the load. Because when my load is light, 
I want to help those. I want to serve those who are in the midst of a heavy burden. And so when, I, and when I'm in the midst of it, I know that my fellow church members and friends will come alongside me and help me with my burden. Either with praying for me or fit, meeting a need in ways big and ways small. But this requires that we look beyond ourselves. And gathering together helps us look beyond ourselves because we put our, ourselves in the path of people who have burdens. If you, didn't gather, if you didn't gather, you'd be by yourself. You may not know what other people are doing, how other people are struggling or hurting. You're pro- you only think about your own problems. But when we come together and you're talking with people, you hear about their burdens. You hear of them. And it helps us to look beyond ourselves, to look just past my own problems, my own burdens. How how can I help others? I've got some stuff going on in my life, but this person's really going through something right now. I need to look beyond myself. I need to consider that other person more significant than myself and serve them and bear that burden. And also for those who have heavy burdens, I think it would be really easy and tempting to, if something really heavy is going on in your life, to just say, I'm going to stay back from church. I don't want to burden people with what's going on in my life. But, committing, but, but being in the gathering is the, almost the best thing you could do when you're weighed down by a heavy burden. To surround yourself with people who will help you and shoulder the load, to help care for you, provide for you, encourage you during it. To put yourself in community, to put yourself around other people. And I think, again, small group ministry can shine in a place like this. That even in a church this size, not not everyone can know everyone else's burdens. I can't know everyone's burdens in the room. No one can. It's not not for everyone to know everything, everything about everyone. But in a small group, it's a place where you can share these struggles and trials with a group of folks you see every week you get to know them well, people who are invested in each other's lives in a particularly deep way. And, and those are the folks oftentimes I can think about when I've been in a small group and we've been going through something. It's those people who are the first to reach out to us and say, I'm praying for you. Hey, how can we help you? How can we help provide for you as you're going through this in providing a meal or something as we need it? I think small groups are just, one of the I love small groups because of that, that closeness, that dynamic of helping bear one another's burdens and shoulder the loads. So gathering together helps us look beyond ourselves. So th- that's the third way gathering with God's people produces spiritual growth. And finally, though the last way gathering with God's people produces spiritual growth is that gathering together helps make us more like Jesus. Gathering together helps make us more like Jesus. Turn one book over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be in verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And if I had to say, I think this is the greatest benefit for every Christian. As, we, as, you, as you turn, this is the greatest benefit for every Christian. There's no greater benefit to gathering together than this. Let's read verses 11 through 16. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Like I said, I think this is the ultimate greatest benefit for any Christian in gathering together. That gathering together makes us more like Jesus. God gave the church these roles, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints to be about the work of building up the body of Christ. And what does it look like for the body of Christ to be built up? Well, we're growing up, we're attaining the unity of the faith, we're growing up in unity with one another and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Why? We're growing up into mature manhood to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. So as we gather together, our aim, the reason I hope you're here this morning is that in some small way, week by week, as you gather on a Sunday morning or in a small group or on Wednesday night or around Christians around the dinner table, I hope in some small way your goal, my aim, is I want to be more like Jesus a little bit more this morning as a, as a result of being with God's people. Because God's word says that we, we're equipped, being equipped for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ so that we could be, grow up into the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. And then in verse 15, as we speak the truth in love to one another, we're growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So when we gather together this morning, we're all pursuing this aim together. We're becoming more like Jesus. We're being sanctified. We're being perfected day by day. We will never be perfect. We will never, we will never perfectly grow up into Christ. But it should be our ambition to grow up into Christ, to grow up into mature Christians. God uses our gatherings to do that. Do you think about the gathering this way? I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's, it can be a little easy for us, especially if you've been in the church for a long time. This is just what you do. You come to church, you talk to some people, it's good, you hear the word, you hear, you hear the Bible preached, you sing some songs, and it can be easy just to let that be routine and rote. But to think about that, like everything, every time I gather with the saints, God is wanting to make me more like Jesus. God wants to grow me from this gathering. I think that spur, if you think that way, that'll spur you on to deeper and deeper investment in the church. It'll to deeper and deeper relationships. So how do we pursue this goal here in our gathering this morning? Well, we'd center around God's word. There's a reason why we prioritize God's word in our gatherings. Because God's word is, is how we know God and how we can grow up into him. If we centered our, live, our services around anything else, 
we would reflect that our service is, is not about making us more like Jesus and not about growing us into the image of Christ. But we center around the word of God. We teach the whole counsel of God. So I praise God that our Sunday morning gatherings are filled with the word of God preached. We hear from his word. We sing songs that remind us of truth. The spirit brings conviction to our hearts. We're being transformed into the likeness of Christ through that. So as we gather together, we're becoming more like Jesus. Again, I think that motivates us to deeper and deeper investment in the church. Like, if 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 you knew that one of the big ways God wants to grow me in my faith is using the people of God, then I want to be around the people of God. If if, If my aim is to become more like Jesus, I want to be like him. I want to shrug off this, like, coil of this, this, like, Sin that weighs on me. I want to become more like Jesus. Then I need to be around God's people to do that. You can grow from your personal quiet time. God uses his word as you study it every day by yourself. He uses that. But he also uses it in a profound way, being with God's people. And so, as we approach the fall... Another year of our small group ministry is starting up again. And I want to exhort us, as we have considered gathering this morning and the importance of gathering, I want to exhort us to consider our small group ministry. Sign-ups are starting today. And just a personal note, I am very passionate about small groups. Maybe you've seen it already in the sermon. But I think that beyond the Sunday morning gathering, I think small groups are such a powerful tool that God has given our church to be invested in each other's lives. Because here on a Sunday morning, we have short conversations, 10 to 15 minutes. You can't talk to everyone. But in a small group, you can have more time to talk to people, to be deeper deeper and deeper invested in the life of the church. I love small groups. I hope that you'll consider being a part of one and being a part of, especially if you've never been a part of one. Especially if you have never been a part of one, to consider perhaps an application of this sermon this morning is, I come, this mo- I come on Sunday mornings, but I don't really come any other time. I think a small group would be great for you to, be in, to get to know a smaller group of people in a closer way, that these people can pour into your life. You can pour into theirs. You can be an encouragement to them. They can be an encouragement to you. You can help ease each other's burdens, and you can make each other more like Jesus. Or maybe you are in a small group, and you are here, on Sunday mornings, an application for you, I would say, is to, is to press on even more, to continue to bear one another burdens, to count the cost, and to consider others more significant than yourself. As you have a conversation with someone as we leave, or this week, and someone shares of a burden, if your mind goes immediately to, to well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I wish I could, but I don't really have time for that, just pray for them. And if you do have time for that, meet the need. Meet a need for, for that brother or sister that you encounter this week. So gathering together is how God uses gathering together to grow us together. We want to be more like Jesus. I hope that's your aim this morning. And I recognize that there are those in this room who may not identify that as a goal. You may not say, I'm not even a Christian, so I don't care about becoming more like Jesus. 
Lord, I'm thankful you're here. I'm thankful you're here, if, you, if that's true of you. But I would encourage you that before, even, even more important than gathering, even important than gathering is that you have been forgiven of your sins, that you have believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. So for you, perhaps, that is the application you make this morning. So place your faith in him. Not just gather, but gather, but come to him. Not just come to church, but come to Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the church. God, this is, this is your church. This is not some institution that man came up with. This is your church. This is your body. You designed it. You created it. You founded it. And so nothing will prevail against it. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the body of believers that we have that will encourage us, that, will, that we can help and ease one another's burdens, that will keep us in the faith. And these folks that are making us more like Jesus, we thank you, God, for that gift. It is grace that we have this, that we are not left on our own to try to figure out how to live a Christian life, to muster it up by our own bootstraps. But God, you use the church to keep us in the faith. You use the church to encourage us. You use the church to help us look beyond ourselves. And you use the body to make us more like Jesus. And God, we pray that as we leave this morning, that would be what we go into this week. We want to be more like Jesus. And I pray that in some small way, this time together, you will use it to make every person in this room more like Jesus, to conform them into the image of the Son. God, that we, don't want, we don't want to be the same as we were yesterday. We don't want to be the same as we were this morning when we walked in, but we want to be continually growing up into him who is the head, who is Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.